When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey. He's pretty irreplaceable for us. He does a lot of things that go unnoticed. Judd Zolgad. Such a good dude. I have the utmost respect for him. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Fly ball to left field. Gardner's back and it's gone. Dozier leads off the game with a home run for the Twins. Swing and a miss. Mustaka strikes out one away. Good slider down and in, and Santana picks up his first strikeout. Mackie and Judd in the TCL broadcast studios. Lindsay Whalen in about 10 minutes from now. Talk about uh, Timberwolves. She's diving into a broadcast sort of, I don't want to say career because she's still a basketball player, but she's dabbling. She's going down that road, and she's very good at it, too. I think her she adds a lot. Are very, very good. Yes. So we'll get to her in about 10 or 15 minutes. I posted a Venn diagram, by the way, the uh, Twins audio there, because it's pitches and catches reports. Base- baseball season starts today uh, from a spring training standpoint. I posted a Venn diagram on my Twitter page last night. I'm not sure if you saw this. I did. People are yes. saying it looks like a MasterCard ad because it's like the yellow and yeah, red. It did. And uh, I guess it could be construed as a MasterCard ad. And on one side, you have people who are mad at the Twins for drawing a line on you, Darvish. And on the other side, you have people who hate the Joe Maurer... Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi bloated contracts because those guys aren't performing to the level of, you know, the money that they make. Mm-hmm. If you're both, which is the middle part, you're either a hypocrite or an idiot or some combination of the two is what I put. And it generated a lot of response. I think people were uh, maybe offended by the truth. You can't be both. Like, you either have to be, this is like my last take on the you Darvish thing, and then it's it's over, he's a cub now, but... I think you either have to be comfortable with what you're signing up for. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe Maurer, you know, by the end of that contract, he's going to be in his mid-30s, probably not catching anymore. And based on his size and frame, pretty good chance he's not going to be worth $23 million. But, hey, at the beginning of the contract, the Twins were maybe in World Series mode. But you got to know what you're signing up for. When you sign decade-and-a-half-long contracts in the NHL to guys who are already 28 years old, okay, you better win now. But don't come crying in six years, which is where we're at right now, when those contracts become albatrosses. So with you know with the U Darvish contract, the Cubs went into that saying, "We are comfortable in year six of that deal, mm-hmm. paying U Darvish twenty or twenty five million dollars when he's thirty seven years old." The Twins went in and said, "We're not. Mm-hmm. We don't want to. We don't want to put ourselves in a spot to pay him twenty five million dollars, which is more than Joe Maurer makes." When he's 36 or 37. And I guarantee you, a lot of the same fans that are ripping the Twins for not going the extra mile, the extra year, the extra 10, 15, 20, 50 million dollars on you, Darvish, would be the first ones 
ripping the same front office and the same organization the minute he has a four and a half ERA in the third year of that deal. I guarantee it. So let's get into how the the human brain works here, because I think this is the important side of of how people get upset about something that that you say, okay, if you're going to be upset about this, you can't be upset about that. I think the um, the default switch of the, of the Twins fan, of a lot of Twins fans, is they're cheap. They're never going to pay. They're never going to pay. And when they do, they screw it up. Maurer. Maurer was screwed. Now, despite the fact that you, you can make an argument that they really didn't screw it up because Maurer gave them so many good years before he signed that contract and some good years after. But I think that's where the problem lies is that People just see they want to see this team as being cheap, and so they 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 want to go all in on players. And then if those players don't work out, that conveniently becomes the fall the fall guy for the team of well that didn't work out because the Twins are stupid too. I think that's the problem. And and to go back to the Darvish contract, the issue here is I do believe that there's going to come a day when the Twins give a pitcher a huge contract. I also believe that they know full well that they can't afford to screw that day up. And so if you just go around to guys and arbitrarily say, you're the best pitcher on the market, and therefore here's six years and 126, just do it. And he says yes, and you screw that up, guess what? Next big contract that comes around potentially, you can't give out. But I think when it comes to a lot of Twins fans, they conveniently want the right to bash the team on both sides, which is one, they're cheap, and then when they're not cheap, they're dumb. Yeah, I mean, like- And that's the problem. And the thing is, they've been both not cheap and dumb at the same time quite a few times the last several years. The Phil Hughes extension, the Ricky Nolasco contract. Yep. There's been a lot. You could even say that if if, if Irvin Santana didn't have the the untimely surgery, that they might be on the hook. Now, he's not going to reach the 200 innings necessary to trigger the vesting option for 2019, but they may have signed him through age 36 as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, So where I'm going to flip this around is... I actually think the Twins do deserve criticism for not being more aggressive when the time is right. And so the, the time is right, starting right now, either in free agency or in the trade market, to take a good team that made the playoffs but but was an incomplete product and push it over the edge. you got to know what you're signing up for, and you got to be comfortable with the consequences at the end of some of these contracts or be comfortable with, in a trade scenario, if you're going to go get Chris Archer, be comfortable with the fact that Max Kepler might break out and reach a new level. And Steven Gonsalves, if you trade him, becomes the Rays' number two starter. Like, you have to be okay with that long-term for the short-term gain of whether it was you, Darvish, or mm-hmm. Chris Archer. And so where I do think the Twins deserve criticism, historically, Terry Ryan, Bill Smith, and we'll see what happens with Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, they haven't been aggressive really ever outside of maybe like, well, okay, Irvin Santana... But that's not a Cliff Lee trade in 2010. Right. That wouldn't be the same as a Chris Archer trade or a Hugh Darvish signing. That's not going for it. When the window is open, I'm all for calculated aggression. Mm-hmm. And they've had a lot of chances, and I get why. Their pipeline, especially at the Metrodome from 2001 through 2009 or 10, their pipeline of minor leaguers was the reason why they stayed competitive for so long because they were like a bottom five payroll team. Uh, they weren't bringing in any revenue. They weren't bringing in any ticket sales. All these things. It was justified. Yes, it correct. Was. But so I and I just think at some point, starting right now, and then continuing on throughout the season and right. the next three to four years, if this is a win now window, they have to be more calculated, aggressive 
in some of these instances. But they also have to be smart. And it, this is what, why the potential for the Archer trade intrigues me much more. I'm much more willing to give up a package that starts with Kepler and includes some top prospects than I am to pay Darvish at his age that much for that long. And I'm also, I, I think what we need to know is this. When they do sign a pitcher to that type of contract, they know they have to be right. You can't, if you screw that that up, it's going to set you back quite a ways. So the whole approach to going into the open market, especially when it comes to pitching and signing these contracts, I get the trepidation there. But the flip side is the conversation that we had quite a bit on the Monday show, which is this is why the Archer trade makes sense to me. And this is why the thing that would concern me is if you're gun shy about your prospects. Because we've gone down these lists before, and some of these guys turn out to be fantastic, and and a lot don't. But if you're going to say, every guy that we've got, I don't know, man, I hate to trade that guy, That that's where it starts to annoy me. Because if your window is open, those prospects give you a definite opportunity to pounce. And I'm not saying that you trade every one of those players. But if you have the faith that I think that these two guys do, and the fact that they can go out and find guys and replenish that system, this is why it's far more attractive to spin prospects for, for immediate, credible players and Every once in a while, if you want to go sign somebody off the open market, I get that. But the Archer trade to me is what makes far more sense for this team where things currently sit. Well, the best example of the Twins being on the verge of World Series contention in recent history and having a great chance to pull the trigger on a move that could put them over the top, and then they said, ah, yeah, we're just not going to go there. 2010, Cliff Lee was one of the best pitchers in baseball. I believe he started the season with Texas and then went to Seattle and then became a free agent, went to the Phillies because he bounced around from like Cleveland, Texas, Seattle, then went to the Phillies. Cliff Lee in 2010 had seven complete games. He pitched uh, to a 318 ERA and had almost a strikeout per inning, led the league in whip, led the league in best walk rate, strikeout to walk ratio, all these things, right? I mean, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Mm -hmm. And from everything I had heard at the time, the Twins refused to put Aaron Hicks on the table, which looks completely asinine now in retrospect. Like, obviously, you'd go back and say, okay, you can have Aaron Hicks is just now developing as a viable starting caliber major leaguer in New York, and that's eight or nine years later. So if you could go back and put Cliff Lee on that 2010 Twins team with Carl Pavano... That was Francisco Liriano's second best season as a pro at that point. Maybe, maybe you don't beat the Yankees, but if you can get out to a one zero lead because Cliff Lee is your starting pitcher in Game One at home, and you play two home games, you give yourself way better. And chance. you're not starting Brian Dunsing in Game yep. Three of that series at Yankee Bleeping Stadium. Yep, you sort of dug your own grave. You made a decision. I know we have a window to win a championship, but we're more concerned about just keeping this prospect pipeline. But that's the thing. If you have 20 prospects you love instead of eight, which is kind of where they were in 2010, Mm -hmm. you're much more likely to pull the trigger on an Aaron Hicks trade. Mm -hmm. Just like right now, I think you're more likely to pull the trigger on a Nick Gordon and a Steven Gonsalves because you know what? Royce Lewis and Blaine Enlow are in the pipeline. They have a really nice pipeline right now. Yes. They should be looking to trade three guys for Chris Archer. Exactly. And and this is why if you possibly have to add a fourth, you know what you do? Add a fourth. I mean, I'm, I am all for protecting your pipeline and your prospects, but you are, we thought when, when Falvey and Levine got here last year, we thought that this was probably a three-year process, and guess what? It doesn't have to be. So go get, and by, by the way, too, you'd be adding 
an ace to your staff who's got four years of contract left at an unbelievably reasonable price that allows you to, if you want, go back into the open market and sign another starting pitcher who could be your two. And if things don't, if if things go belly up, you can still trade Chris Archer for great prospects in a year or two years. All right, live from the TCL broadcast studios, Mackie and Judd, we're going to catch up with our friend Lindsey Whalen, talk some Wolves, uh, talk about her broadcasting and uh, doing Wolves games and some BTN stuff. That's next, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. I want you to do it. The good Lord wants you to do it. You really think so? I know so. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd in the TCL broadcast studios. We'll uh, catch up with Derek Wetmore here in like an hour from Fort Myers because Twins pitchers and catchers report today. It's baseball season. Sneaks up fast. Let's uh, let's switch some gears here. Lindsey Whalen, not only is she one of the best players in WNBA history and uh, has unfinished business there, but she's rocking Fox Sports North on some of these Wolves broadcasts, Big Ten Network. In fact, you can find her Thursday on Big Ten Network, Purdue, Maryland, and also Fox Sports North. Uh, her next appearance is in Houston on the 23rd of February. What's up, Lindsey? What's going on? Oh, not much. You know, just, uh, you know, studying video on the grind sitting here taking notes, trying to come up with uh, my own game plan for Thursday out there in Maryland. So that, I, I'd love to know more about that. So number one, what is, are you just like dabbling and testing the broadcast waters or are you all in on this thing for uh, whenever you full-time transition out of basketball? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at first I was just like, um, when they came to me at FSN, they were the first ones to, um, you know, ask, hey, would you want to do this? And I just was kind of like, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, obviously, you get to hang out with Jim P and Dave, and we'll, you know, who, who doesn't want to sit courtside at NBA games and just watch these guys play? So then I was after about my second or third game, I was, I was like, this is pretty cool, you know. I, um, I never, I mean, I kind of had that in the back of my mind as, you know, something I could do. I, I probably always thought that I would probably coach at some point, um, but just kind of. For now, while I'm playing, it's definitely something fun, and I want to learn and get better, and I want to have my options open for sure when I'm done playing. And so uh, I talked to Jim P, and he just said, get your reps. Get as many reps as you can. Practice. It's like anything. And so then I reached out to ESPN and Big Ten Network, and I did one ESPN game down in Louisiana Monroe. That was a an interesting travel day. But um, And then I did – I did – I've done one Big Ten game, and then I was in the studio yesterday um, in Chicago, and I'm home today, and then I leave tomorrow to go to um, to Maryland. But, uh, yeah, so I've done, I think it'll be nine FSN games, uh, three Big Tens, and then the one ESPN. So some pretty solid work for it being an offseason uh, for me with the WNBA. So uh, most of my work here finishes up in February, and then I'll have – March and April to really train and get ready for the WNBA season. So what's the toughest part of the job, just as far as things that you uh, potentially didn't expect when you started broadcasting games, Lindsay? The, for sure, the hardest thing to, to for me was talking over highlights. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you're sitting at home, they make it look so easy. And then when you're having to speak over, like, let's say 40 seconds of, um, you know, Jimmy Butler highlights, it's like you have to be able to string together some like pretty solid thoughts throughout that process because you can't just be like oh and he dumps it yeah <laughs> well you can actually it's been done before you can. yeah you can you can but you kind of want to tell the story and explain and you want you want at the same time you want to throw in 
maybe like little anecdotes here and there too about how he's been playing and whatnot. And so I, I think talking over the highlights has been tough. Um, yeah, but you know, after I got comfortable doing that um, with those guys, it's been easier and easier. And I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at it as I've gone. And then yesterday was my first studio experience. So it was my first time, you know, when they come at you with the camera where they call that like the two shot for it's both of you. And then you have to transition from there to your camera. Yeah. You talking to the camera like you're talking to, you know, you're like you're talking to, you know, somebody chilling, having a beer, but it's like you're talking to an audience and you're trying to convey your message there. So that was my first day doing that yesterday. So that was a learning experience as well. And they said I did pretty good for my first day, but again, I had Jim Pete and Marnie Gellner. Marnie talked to me the whole flight home about like the cameras and where to look and, and whatnot. So I've had so much help along the way from the FSN crew. It's been really amazing of them. Who are the, for your money, who are the best women, either broadcasters, sideline reporters, or who are the best women sports media people that, that you follow, I mean, that you admire? I mean, the one is Doris Burke, for sure. I feel like she's the, um, and now she's uh, strictly NBA, but she's the one, I mean, she did She did our games back in 2004 when we played at, against Duke. She did that game, and so we've always had that, I feel like that kind of connection because she did that game, and now she's just grown to where she just done all the Final Fours for the women's, and now she's in the NBA, and she's just focusing on that, and um, you know, her. I think Carol Lawson has been doing it for so long. Rebecca Lobo has been doing it for so long. Um, so I think that those guys um, have kind of set the standard more or less for the women's college game and the WNBA. Um, I really like Brian Rucco, who does the play-by-play. We've gotten pretty close to. So I guess the people that I know and I've gotten close to, um, you know, so I'll, I'll now I'll get to know more of the big CTM people doing a couple more games, and I'll get to, um, you know, obviously watching more of those games so I can pick up on who I really like and, and how they how they work. And everyone's been really cool over there, too. So it's been, it's been good so far. How do you weigh critiquing players and plays? Because Jim Pete does a very good job of that. He can be critical without uh, cutting people down. How, how do you go about trying to trying to tell the person at home that this person screwed up without going too far with that in your mind? You know, I just try to tell, like, honestly how I would say, um, I'm, you know, like a point guard and kind of how I would talk to, let's say, you know, Cheryl, Coach Reeves. But, yeah, you don't want to slam people. You want to make people – I mean, you don't want to make them – you know, you want to be honest. And so you also don't want to just be like, oh, you know, they have four turnovers. But, you know, they're trying hard. You know, it's like you have to find that happy medium. And so I think – I try to do just like kind of how I've always talked the game more or less. And, um, you know, I, I felt like the other night – I felt like we were in Chicago. I felt like we were – rightfully so, I felt like we were fairly critical because – they had that team down and they had them beat and it's just, they had sloppy turnover after sloppy turnover and then defensive breakdown. And I felt like we were, I felt like we were pretty honest with that. And, and it was the third quarter, those turnovers and just the lackadaisical play that ended up, you know, leading to the Chicago win. It's like when you have a, you have a team down, you got to step on them. And our coaches would tell us that after the game, if I was in that, if I was on that team. So I kind of felt like, I, that's what we should be telling the viewer because you kind of get with me and Jim, you get the former players. So you kind of want that insight and want that different dynamic. So, but yeah, you, you know, you don't want to just crush people either, but um, you know, it's a, cause you know, when I listen to my games <laughs> and somebody's just, if you're having a bad game, um, you know, that's always, 
interesting. And when you see him next, you always want to, you know, have a good game and say something <laughs> to him, like Lobo or somebody like that. Like, hey, remember that game when I was over 12? Yeah, watch this tonight. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting, you know, dynamic. And uh, it's different, too, when you're doing the Timberwolves because, you know, you're focusing on your team. Like, you focus, you scout and know the other team as well. But now, let's say, this game coming up, Purdue, Maryland, I have to know both teams, and I'm not on the, you know, I'm on the Timberwolves broadcast compared to this is just a network broadcast, BTN. So um, there's both teams compared to one is a little different, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Lindsay, what have you, uh, I know you've spent some time and you've done some interviews with Jimmy Butler throughout the mm-hmm. season. What, what can you tell us? Is, are there things like behind the curtain that we might not see watching games that you've been able to pick up from, from Jimmy Butler, his leadership, or anything that you've noticed? Yeah, I think just, uh, for me, seeing him and Jamal work when during timeouts and being that close to see how they work. There was an instance in Cleveland where Jimmy, this is actually more on Jamal's good, I felt like, leadership. And, and just, you know, Jimmy and Kat, I don't know if you guys remember, went up for a rebound. The ball went out of bounds. Cleveland ball. And they were, you know, Kat and Jimmy were pretty, you know, rightfully so upset with each other. And, and that happens. And Jamal kind of played peacemaker the whole the whole time out you know getting everybody back on the same page and um so i feel like um jamal coming in leadership and then jimmy as you as you mentioned i feel like he's he's the guy that he's like hey you know what yeah no we're trying to win so this is yeah if we have to like argue a little and get mad like that's okay and we'll move on and we'll play next play and so i feel like he's brought that to the team and just you know for so many years with since we got Wiggins and Towns, uh, you know, I, I felt like watching this team, they needed that veteran scorer, that another player that could kind of show those guys the way. It's, they're so talented, but just kind of figuring out the nuances of the league and, and also being able to score. You know, we brought in Andre Miller in years past, and great leader, great guy, but, you know, he's not going to go out and get you 20 points like Jimmy. And so I felt like that was what the team was kind of missing in these last couple of years. And now that they have a couple of those guys that can, you know, put up those numbers, you're seeing, you know, a team that's, um, that's getting ready for the playoffs. And um, a lot of that goes to Jimmy's credit for sure. As a point guard, do you want to see this team add Derek Rose now that he uh, can be signed? Mm, I mean, I would probably, you know, I'd be kind of, so, so I feel like, I mean, I'm a big Tyus fan, so I feel like, I feel like with Teague and Tyus, I feel like we're um, pretty set there. The one thing D. Rose does provide is a little bit bigger point guard as far as when some of the bigger teams when Tyus is up there, they can out there they can roll him down in the post and really try to create a mismatch. So I feel like with D. Rose, he's a little bit bigger. They probably wouldn't try that as much. Um, but you know, I'm I've always been a big Tyus fan, and I'm you know partial to him because he's a Minnesota kid and he was on our scout team like eight years ago <laughs> when he was in high school. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a big Ty fan. I feel like he he plays the right way. He's a great teammate, good guy. So, you know, if we signed D. Rose, his minutes would probably go down. So, um, but, hey, you know, if Tibbs, you know, obviously he watches all the video and makes the decision. So, um, you know, we'll see what uh, what they decide to do. But uh, I, I feel like they'd be, they'd be good, but. You know, it's also insurance too. If something would, you know, knock on wood, injuries and whatnot going down the stretch, they've they put themselves in a position to make a playoff run or get into the playoffs. And I'm sure Tibbs wants to make sure all of his, uh, you know, 
they not take any chances as they go towards the playoffs. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Whalen's with us, by the way, on Mackie and Joe. What are your? So we're pretty hard on Wiggins on this show. That mm-hmm. you know that if he wanted to grab eight rebounds every night, or if he wanted to get five or six assists, we think that he could. If he wanted mm-hmm. to stop settling for twenty-one footers, we feel like there's more there. And, and Tom Thibodeau has said that too. When you watch him, and you're a professional player for for 15 years, so you have a way better angle at this than we do. What do you see when you watch Andrew Wiggins play? Well, you know, I thought earlier, I thought to start out the season, he started out really aggressive, and I thought that we kind of saw a spark, and then he kind of um, he kind of went into one of his, I don't want to say slumps, but you just didn't notice him as much for about 10 to 15 games. And then I felt like after that Portland game when Jimmy and Jamal really stepped up, I felt like then Wiggins kind of, he was, like, okay, this is what we have to do. And I felt like his defense picked up and he was closing up to shooters and he was stunting on rotations and he was helping. And the other night when J.R. Smith had five threes in the first half against Cleveland, it was Andrew Wiggins that was closing out exceptionally well and exceptionally hard that made him, I think he ended the game maybe five for nine. He didn't. He maybe had one more three after that point, but he, Andrew Wiggins was one of the reasons that, you know, he put out um, that fire. But... Yeah, Wiggins. You see so much talent. You see the, you know, you see what he can do. You see his his body, and um, you know, I, it's just, I don't know. It's just his it's part of it. Just his personality too. He's more of a laid back guy, and I know, you know, sometimes it's frustrating to watch, but you know, it's one of the reasons why we got Jimmy is so that you know those nights when Wiggins isn't being aggressive and isn't taking it to the hole and selling for jumpers, we have Jimmy to do that, and we have Jamal to come in. So. Um, you know, Wiggins is obviously super talented, and with that comes more responsibility. So um, sometimes the, the criticism is is accurate, and I think other times he, um, you know, he deserves a little more credit than he gets. So, um, you know, the last couple games I've been really, that I've been there, I've tried to focus on more him defensively because, you know, offensively he's going to get 18 every night, no matter what. And it's, I think, the defensive end, and as you said, the rebounding, rebounding his position, out-rebounding those, those two and three guards, that's huge for this team. And, um, yeah, you'd like to see the rebounding numbers go up. And um, But like I said, I feel like he's taken some steps defensively. This is this is these guys' second year with Tibbs, and I feel like it just takes time, and it takes time, and it takes those drills and things over and over and over. Because how old are Wiggins and Towns? They're, you know, 22, 23, yeah. and – I feel like there's still a lot of room to grow, but I think you're always going to have that with Wiggins. There's going to be that period of those stretches where, you know, come on, you know, I think that's just kind of his personality. If somebody else is going, he's where Towns and Butler are more the, you know, the alpha, if you will, and those guys want to, you know, take control and kind of get in your face. And, you know, Wiggins is just not that way, and that's not necessarily his personality. But, I mean, you know, you, every a team takes all different personalities and all different dynamics, and, he still brings a lot. He brings a lot to this team, and um, I would say this year he's made you know pretty substantial improvements on the defensive end. So um, you know, hopefully that continues towards towards playoff time. Hey, Lindsay, last thing for you here, uh, real quick. This is my only criticism of you. You got to go back to back at some point with the Lynx. You guys win a title every other year for the last like you know four titles. What what what's what's what's, no what's it going to take happy. to go back to back here, Lindsay? No one's ever yeah. happy. Come on now. Yeah. No, I hear you and. <laughs> You know, when's been? The, I'm trying to think of the last time there's been a back-to-back in pro in major pro sports because, you know, the Patriots had the chance. They just lost. Um, I don't know if the Spurs have ever done it. I Peng- no. Penguins. The Spurs did not. Pen- Penguins. A major Heat, pro sport, Judd. Yeah, a major think- pro sport. Oh, come on. Stop it. National <laughs> Penguins last two years. 
I think um, I think I want to say the the Giants, the San Francisco Giants. No, they every other every other year too. Yeah, and Chicago, the Blackhawks, every other year. So it's tough. I mean, it's tough, but you know, I agree. It's time we do it. It's time we break this whole thing of every other year and only winning an odd season because we only have that. We don't have that many more years left. Our group. I mean, we have as many as we can squeeze out, but. Yeah, you're right. The time is of the essence, and um, and we're working hard to make that happen, and we'll get everybody back here and healthy and ready to go for training camp at the end of April. And I agree, it's it's definitely time for a repeat, and that would be pretty special. That would be very special. Right so it's, uh, we're getting prepared to, to make it happen. Let's do it. <laughs> right on, Lindsey Whalen. Ha- you're never happy, Mackie. Never happy. Listen, I just listen. I want Lindsey to be able to come back and say, "See, told you." She's just, got a lot like, of rings already. Uh, Fox Sports North on Feb 23rd, and then Big Ten Network uh, Thursday here, Purdue, Maryland. So Lindsey's all over the place doing doing media stuff. Thank you. We'll talk again soon, Lindsey. Thanks, Lindsey. Okay. All right, uh, let's come back here. Dave's got some questions for us. What are you going to fire at us here, Dave? I am going to ask you to to critique each other's pecking order lists. Uh, We will also get back into the Twins' Chris Archer theories. Uh, The reckless speculation. Mm -hmm. All right, Judd uh, has a word here first for prime mortgage lending. I do indeed, and I've got a question for you. What would you think if I told you a mortgage company's philosophy was this simple? They would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. And you're going to say to me, Judd, you're kidding, right? There's no way that that's that's the case. Earn my trust. That's the key thing. I'm going to tell you right now, that's exactly what Kent McCullough and my friends at Prime and Bloomington want to do. If you don't believe me, what I want you to do right now, go to the website. GoWithPrimeKent.com. That's GoWithPrimeKent, K-E-N-T.com. Check it out for yourself. This isn't about simply selling you on something. That's not the key thing here. The people at Prime want to earn your trust. This is how Prime works, and this is why they are different from the other guys. Because I'll say it again, they would rather earn your trust than sell you that loan. Would they like to sell you the loan? Absolutely. But your trust is the most important thing, and that's because Kent and the folks at Prime believe in teamwork. They believe in uh, collaboration. I want you to go to the website again. I want you to check it out. GoPrimeWithKent.com. GoPrimeWithKent. K-E-N-T dot com. Back after this with questions. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I am a fan. I can look at them all day long and die laughing. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Thank you to Lindsay Whalen. That was, uh, that was awesome stuff. She's... I think she's got a future in either coaching or media, whatever she wants to do. And right now, media is kind of the the thing that she's doing. And great insight. It was great stuff on the Timberwolves and the Lynx. Dave's got some questions for us of significant importance. I want to go back to the topic that we spoke about a lot yesterday and a little bit before Lindsey Whalen joined us: the Twins and Chris Archer. The rumors that a trade perhaps was offered. A trade maybe could happen. Who knows? We've been throwing out names. We've been recklessly speculating. So let's speculate, but maybe with a little less reckless nature. I don't know. We can be as reckless as you need to. I want the trade, boys. If I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to happen between the Twins and Rays. Chris Archer will be dealt here before the season begins what will that trade look like? Give me names. Give me draft picks. I want you to come as close as you possibly can, a deal that would make sense for both sides, making both teams happy. Reckless speculation. With no regard for human life. First time played that today. Do you want to start us off? 
reckless speculation. Sure. Go ahead. I think there's a there's a few different combinations that could work. These are the three names I put down. And it's in ink, by the way. Oh. So I I can't do I can this scribble it out. I cannot erase this. Not one of those erasable pen deals. No, it is not. Okay. No. So uh and it's paper, so either way, like if Whiteout so would do it. But. Max Kepler is the one that they want for sure, according to Lavelli Neal. So anything would have to that that's the tricky part. I think that could be misconstrued as well, Max Kepler has to be the best centerpiece. It's possible that Royce Lewis would be the best centerpiece, even though Max Kepler has played at a pretty successful level in the big leagues for two years. I wrote down Max Kepler and then two of your your other top ten prospects, Nick Gordon and and either Blaine Enlow or Steven Gonsalves. I mean, whichever pitcher they like best out of Fernando Romero, Steven Gonsalves, Blaine Enlow. Uh, Gonsalves closer to big league ready. Fernando Romero, those guys are double-A pitchers. Blaine Enlow was just drafted last year, so it depends on what they want. Um, I wrote down Enlow, could be Gonsalves, but I think Kepler, Gordon, and then one of your best pitching prospects, that's a really strong offer because you're talking about five years team control, Max Kepler, with a ton of upside. He's only 25. If he can figure out how to hit left-handed pitching, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a chance he could be one of the better position players, you know, that the Rays have. And then two very promising Nick Gordon, Blaine Enlow, Nick Gordon, Nick uh, Steven Gonsalves. That's I think those three, that's a really strong offer that I would feel totally comfortable giving up and that the Rays probably would have a hard time finding a match. All right. I wrote those same names down, but I'm going to audible to a different tact, which is going to be more difficult for me to do. Uh, But I truly believe if I do this right, I can, if I do the pitching right and I do it within the next few weeks, I can go from being a really feel-good story and a really nice team to a a contender to win the American League Central and actually a contender in the American League. Kepler, Royce Lewis. Whoa. I do it. Oh, my God. And a a lower-level pitching prospect. Wow. And Royce Lewis is very difficult for me to give up. But... I'm going to turn around, I'm going to go to Jim Polad, and I'm going to say, empty your pockets right now, Jimmy, because here's what we're doing. We're getting Archer, and when we get Archer, we're turning around and we're signing uh, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb-like. We're going to have, we're going to go one, two, three. When Irv comes back, we're going to go from saying, oh my gosh, Irv's out till May, could this be trouble, to saying, Irv, when you get back, you are our third starter. I'm offering Royce Lewis. I'm giving them three, three things but I'm but two of them are damn good. One could be outstanding. And I might regret it, but I feel that because Archer has so much contract left, and let's say I sign Cobb or, or Lynn do a three-year contract, and so he's going to be with me for a while. That I'm taking my team from we're in the midst of sort of building on up to we're gonna skip a step. And wow. I'm do I'm doing it. Ooh. I want to have more fun with that. I want to have a little more fun. Gotta do it. The, I mean, if there's a the way offers, to get Archer without giving up the number one overall pick, I agree, but you have to do that instead. I agree. Like, I'd rather give up Gonsalves and Romero than well, me too. But than but, Royce Lewis. But I'm saying that if Archer is truly on the market, you're going to have a lot of teams with prospects dipping in and trying true. and trying to get him. It's true. And the offer I just gave you, I don't think can be topped. No, I don't think so either. If you give a, a, a and, and Max Kepler is already like your number five hitter. Yeah. And that crappy lineup, he might be your number three hitter. I just blew your socks off. And Royce Lewis is one of the best prospects in baseball. 
That gets it done. What you just said, Judd, gave me the same tingle up my spine that a big poker hand or you know, a lot of money riding on a blackjack hand would. Oh, I'm excited now. Or oh, there's a lot on the line for but... a sacrifice bunt as the third base coach of your ninth grade team. That's right. <laughs> we don't bunt. We mad. <laughs> Are you kidding me? At four at four o'clock today, I'll, I'll be called a moron. Why wait till four? He's on at three with sports. Stuff. I don't think they'll, I don't think true. they would address Such, it. I've got something oh, for yeah, you. Good po- okay, good point. Zolgad's yep. an idiot. And, Reeve, and, Reavers, and Reavers will pile on right away. Oh, oh, oh shocking. Ab- absolutely. That's a crazy trade offer. <laughs> uh, question number two, boys. You guys at the top of the 10 o'clock hour gave your pecking order list of the most annoying athletes, typically guys that had talent but for whatever reason didn't perform and just annoyed you to no end. So Mm -hmm. I want to take, you guys did overlap on some, but there's plenty you didn't overlap on. Take somebody you didn't overlap on from the other person's list and defend them to the radio death as to why they don't belong on that list because you didn't include them. So you're going to go first here, but just let's rehash our list real quick for people who didn't hear it. So um, for me, it was Delman Young, Ralph Sampson III, Rodney Williams, Andrew Wiggins, Kyle Gibson, Christian Ponder, Adrian Peterson, the combination of Eddie Griffin and Michael Olawakandi, um, and then uh, Blair Walsh, and I believe it was Kevin Sleep, Kevin Slowy, Nick Blackburn. Nick Blackburn, yes. Uh, mine went one through ten. Thomas Vanek, Cordero Patterson, Ricky Nolasco, Miko Koivu, and Ralph Sampson the third. And then six through ten were Andrew Wiggins, Ricky Rubio, Mitch Leidner, Adrian Peterson, and my number ten was Erasmus James. So I'm supposed to take one of the ones that I didn't include that Phil did and defend that player to the death. Okay, defend Rodney Williams, which actually is very easy on a basketball card. And oh snap! Oh oh oh! Wow! (laughs) See what you did. That's right. I'm digging up. I'm digging up. Go for basketball skeletons (laughs) from ten years ago, baby. Um. Actually, it's funny you brought up that name because that is the player I'm going to defend, and here's why. Oh, then just let him shoot from 20 feet. I th- be fine. I thought about... <sighs> He's The jokes today aren't good. The jokes today are really, really lacking. Since the start of the show, too. I want this, I want this to be... N- Noted because I'm ordinarily the one that gets you know the grief for trying to improve on things. I yeah. think the jokes today are really bad from that. Side no, you guys table. all cackled. You guys all cackled. It maybe wasn't a stadium laugh, but you guys cackled. Okay, so I thought about uh, defending your number six on the list, Christian Ponder, but I can't. He drove me crazy too, and I can't. In good conscience, as bad as he was, he just was terrible. Uh, so <laughs> number three was Rodney Williams, and I'm going to defend him based on this. And here's where I here's where I moved to sever the case of uh, Ralph Sampson the third and Rodney Williams. Ralph Sampson the third showed up here, and his biggest problem it wasn't that he couldn't stand school. In fact, he probably liked school, but he hated basketball. He showed up. I mean, his name was Ralph Sampson. He looked the part completely, and you said to yourself, oh, my gosh, uh, Ralph Sampson's son is coming here? This is going to be fantastic. And then he got here, and he hated basketball. He wanted to play outside the paint. The ball was always down by his hips. He never did anything where he actually cared. Rodney Williams showed up here as a pretty good product and to me was a victim of what we all found out, and it sounds like the Memphis folks are having the same deal now with Tubby. He went backwards every single year. Ralph Sampson III, I don't remember ever impressing me. Like, every time I watched him, you're like, what are you doing, dude? You just, you don't care. Rodney Williams looked like he cared his freshman year, and then he progressively went backwards. Is that 
entirely his fault? No. Is it partially his fault? Yes. But I will defend him to the death on the fact that I think the coaching, if he had gone to a school where they actually could have coached him a little bit, I think he could have made the pros. I'm not saying he's a first-round draft pick, as that uh, analysis tried to show two years out back Mm -hmm. then. But Rodney Williams, to me, was also a victim of the fact that Tubby was and remains so incredibly checked out that he had a laundry list of players who arrived here as decent players and went backwards. All right, I'm going to defend. Uh, that's a that's a decent defense, although I could see that you were... I, I, I think that if if on a neutral playing field, I think you would agree with me mostly on the, the I was Spanera, asked. But yeah, I was asked sure. to play a role here, and I played sure. my role to my best. So I'm, I'm not going to play a role when we come back. I'm legit going to defend someone that was on your list, I think, inexplicably. And then we'll get to the third question as well. Thomas Fanick? Uh, we'll check in with Wetmore, who's sitting down with uh, Thad Levine here shortly in Fort Myers. So we'll get a Twins pitchers and catchers reporting day update. Luther Brookdale Toyota is uh, has been a friend of the station for going on seven years now. And uh, speaking of the Twins, Luther Brookdale Toyota helps power the Touch 'Em All podcast, which you can find on our website. We'll have another new episode later on today. Uh, it, we're talking about a combination of some of the most durable most popular vehicles in the world, Toyotas with the RAV4, the Camry, the Corolla, uh, the Tundra, and as far as locally in the Twin Cities, some of the most knowledgeable, friendly, quick-on-their-feet people you're going to find in the industry, both on the service side and in the showroom sales side. They've helped my family and I a number of different times throughout the years. I can think back to college when uh, our street flooded, and my roommate's car, which was parked right behind mine, was totaled with the floods. I uh, was able to put a phone call into Luther Brookdale Toyota, and they said, why didn't you do this? We'll send a tow truck out, like just the red carpet. We'll send the tow truck out, bring it in. We'll dry it out. They saved the vehicle. Uh, It went up another 50,000 miles the next few years. Get the same experience and the same connection my family has had for 30-plus years. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're running a strange program, y'all. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Dave, ask question number two again here, and then uh, we'll continue on. It was off the pecking order list of the most annoying Minnesota, or, well, I don't think it was any athletes, but you guys stuck to Minnesota. The most annoying athletes that rubbed you the wrong way based on their play on the court, field, ice, whatever. You had to pick somebody off each other's list and defend them. Uh, So Judd defended Rodney Williams. And it was it was it was tough. It was like chewing glass for you. You were playing a role. You said at the end of last segment, he didn't believe it. No, no. But I was saying off the list, it was either Ponder or Rodney, and I can't do Ponder. Where was Miko Koivu on your list of annoying athletes? Four, same as uh, Wiggy for you. All right. Well, I don't even have to put on a like a fake happy face for this or play a role. You're not gonna. No. Miko Koivu in wild franchise history, going back almost two decades. Yeah. Second in goal scored, mm-hmm. number one by double the next guy in assists. He's one of the great distributors in the NHL since he entered the league. He was very good back in the now. day. Yep. Uh, points tallied, two hundred six more points than the next closest Wild player since the franchise started in uh, 2000, 2001. Marion Gabryk is second on that list. How about plus minus? It's kind of nebulous, but plus minus. He's number two. All-time in franchise history, behind only Ryan Suter. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going here. How about total goals on the ice for? So were you on the ice when a goal was scored? How about 875 times, 314 more than the next closest guy? Woo. Again, Marion Gabryk. Over the course of his career, Mika Koivu has been 
either the most or you could argue second, depending on your feeling on Marion Gabrick. Sure. Most valuable player in franchise history. He can't score a goal these days. It goes about a <sighs> month late, between goals. The late great uh, George Harrison once wrote a song called All Things Must Pass. And Miko Koivu should have passed by now from the Wild roster. That's the that's the important thing to keep in mind. He's still, it's been, a, it's been, you know what? Give him a plaque. A Give him a plaque. Put it up on the wall. Miko Koivu once played here. But I Just think your 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 ripping longer. of him started like six years ago when he was in his prime. <laughs> was I even when here he six was years still ago? one of their? Yes, of course. Was I you even were. here? Is it, well, I've been, been here long? for I've been here for eight, so yeah. There's a couple really, co-hosts ago. Yeah, really yeah, been been well, my former co-host agreed greatly with my point about. Well, Miko you've been Koivu. with me for four years, Miko so. Koivu, man. You gave him another contract extension. <laughs> Agreeing with you did them a whole lot of good, didn't? Yeah, it? it did not work out well for them, did it? It was unfortunate. They should have disagreed with me. Uh, final question of the day: We got an email here from Robert ripping you guys for your ripping of cross-country skiing yesterday. I was not a part of that. I don't know. I don't know why you did it, but you make fun of something you don't know and understand. It makes you sound really ignorant, which you don't have to be. Try it. Take a lesson. Rent a cabin in the woods without TV or internet, and go ski. Then come back on the air and tell your audience what you think. Instead of just sitting back in your chairs and ripping cross-country skiing. Shame mm. on the both of you. Yeah. Take something else that's popular in Minnesota, Northland, these northern climates. Whether you've experienced it or not, an activity, a food, whatever it is. And go ahead and rip it regardless of experience or not. Uh, so I have friends, and I ask my friends the same question, who have cabins that are like three, four hours away in northern Minnesota. Listen, I'm all I'm all for cabins. Cabins are great. But weekend cabin trips, four hours away, eight hours round trip. So we're talking like one-ninth of my time is going to be spent in a damn car on either 35W or 169 in a traffic jam. I mean, the traffic jam sometimes starts in Maple Grove at that fork on mm-hmm. the freeway. You want to be in your car before. for four or five hours on a Friday after work and then come back on a Sunday. You really get one good day. When you could have a cabin closer. So if you live in northern Minnesota, awesome. But if you're driving like eight to ten hours round trip to a cabin just to be outside and be around some water, there are 10,000 lakes. I've never understood the concept of being in your car that long. There's also your couch. To go get on a boat TV. somewhere. Just stay home and watch TV. <laughs> well, that's your opinion. Lay on your couch. <laughs> go go to the bar. Judd, quickly. Go. You have a minute. Um, Minnesota nice, and here's why. We're not nice. This Super Bowl thing brought up the BS again. We're judgmental. We're judgmental, and we're civil to people, and then we decide if we don't like you, and if we don't like you, we rip you behind your back. The Minnesota nice thing is the biggest bunch of garbage ever. We aren't nice. We're judgmental, and we're smart enough. We're smarter than most people, so we make decisions on you, and we withhold those until you're gone. And if you're from the East Coast, you think we're nice? No, we think you're morons. We just don't say it. Minnesota nice is garbage. We're like Kathy Bates in Misery. We'll smile, yes. Yes. and we'll say nice things to you, and then we'll hobble your ass if you do something. <laughs> That's exactly right. right. Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios, you said something bold about a potential Chris Archer trade package. I just want you to be aware of what you said. 